You know, I was listening to a message this afternoon by Paige Brown. She is a Bible teacher that teaches in West End Community Church in Nashville. If you're not familiar with her, I would encourage you. She speaks quite often for the Gospel Coalition. And I was listening to a message she's doing on 1 Samuel. And she said today that if God is my primary reality, then worship will be my primary activity. What's the title of our study for this fall? All that matters. And it's taken directly out of the scripture in Colossians. Jesus Christ is all that matters. And what we just sang is we are in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. And so this semester, we're wanting to make Christ preeminent in our life. We want him to truly be all that matters. And in Colossians chapter three, it tells us that when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, we will be revealed with him in glory because we will be not only with him, but like him in his resurrection state. That is what awaits us. You know, we just completed our study of Genesis 1 through 11 this past fall. And we know from all that God has revealed in his word and through nature that he is good and he only does good. This is true. This truth is foundational and God revealed it to us from the beginning. We know that everything he created, he declared good or very good. So we have this understanding, right? God is good and he only does good. But the lie of the evil one was to convince Adam and Eve that God was not good. And through the serpent's temptation in Genesis three, we are made aware of his tactics. Remember how he tempted Eve? First to deny God's word, then to doubt God's word, or to doubt it, then to deny it, and then to doubt God's character. God's not good, he's holding out on you. The enemy did not come to Eve with a weapon or with a threat, but with a lie. And he comes to us in the same way. In fact, that devil, that serpent of old, he's gonna be the one that whispers in your ear and says, be true to yourself, follow your heart, make your own decisions. And he taunts us and says, don't let anyone tell you what to do. Then he says, your identity is actually defined by you. You know what will make you happy. Your truth is right for you. You determine your own morality. You can be God. That's where that thought process leads as the enemy lies to us about the goodness of God. And if he can tempt us to believe that God is not good, our actions will follow. You know, Paul's letters address specific issues in the churches to which he wrote. In the letter to the Colossians, Paul uses the most lofty language in all of his letters to describe Christ and what it means to be in Christ. So why is he giving this extensive treatment to Christ as Lord and focusing on his preeminence in this letter to the church at Colossae? It's because the Colossian church had been infiltrated with lies. The only way to refute the lie is to champion the truth and give it preeminence in our lives. Another example is when Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Two of the issues he dealt with 
them were with racial prejudice and with pride. In fact, in Galatians 2.14, he said, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, what was that all about? Well, what had happened was Peter and the other Jews were associating with the Gentiles and they were eating with them. But when the Jews from Jerusalem came to check out what was happening among the Gentiles, what did Peter do? He pulled away and was no longer eating with the Gentiles. And his influence and leadership impacted some of the other Jews who had also been eating with the Gentiles until even Barnabas got caught up in it. And so Paul called them out publicly. He refuted them for what they were doing. You don't fear man, you fear only God. And he was he was really coming against their racial prejudice and their pride that led them into this sin. But what did he say? You're not acting in line with the gospel because what does the gospel do? The gospel levels the playing field. There is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. We are all equal in Christ. And that's the beauty. Jesus Christ becomes our identity. Tim Keller said about this passage, since Paul uses the metaphor of being in line with the gospel, we can consider that gospel renewal occurs when we keep from walking off line, either to the right or to the left. Now think about this with me. I'm going off script here. <laughs> He's talking about going offline, right or left. To the right would be legalism. That's the Pharisees, right? They are alive and well today. They are those out there that have their standard of measure that they've added to the word of God. And if you don't measure up, you don't think exactly the way they do, observe holidays and special days and do everything that they say you should do, they will cancel you. You are a heretic because you don't believe the way they believe, even though you agree on the essentials of the gospel. But what does the liberal person do? The person on the left of the gospel believes that some of the lies that I was just reading. You can define your own identity. You can define your own morality. Just do whatever feels good for you. God is a God of love. Surely he's not gonna punish you for your sin. So you've got these two extremes, but listen to what Tim Keller says. A key for thinking out the implications of the gospel is to consider the gospel a third way between two mistaken opposites. However, we must realize that the gospel is not a halfway compromise between these two poles. It produces not something in the middle, but something different from both. Now think about that with me. Whether we're liberal or legalistic, irreligious or religious, both of these two extremes are ways to create life on our own terms. We're in control. We're telling other people what to believe and how to live, right? Based on our interpretation or our preferences. In fact, I heard someone say recently that um, religious people have preferences. Missional Christians have experiences. Are you walking with God? Are you experiencing him in intimacy? Because that's what it means to be in Christ. It is to walk with him. We must jettison culture's definitions and legalistic religious definitions of what it means to be a Christian. And we must define what it means to follow Christ according to his word. We must think biblically. There is a third way and it's God's way, the gospel way. This way defined by God liberates us from the constraints of the flesh to live out God's design in the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we are able to do it because it's not up to us. We simply surrender 
to all that we have received because we're in Christ Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit within us enables us, empowers us to live out the gospel daily before others. We are to be true to the gospel, to be in line with the gospel. And as we get into the book of Colossians, we're going to learn how to take off that old nature and put on the new nature, which is Christ. We're going to learn how to speak to one another in ways that encourage our group identity, identity in Christ, not in the world. In fact, I was talking to a friend this afternoon and I said, you know, as a believer, I think a lot of times people in cultural Christianity are trying to fit in or be relevant. They want to kind of look like the culture and kind of talk like the culture. And they say it so that they can minister to the culture. But the problem is we look and sound so much like the culture that we're not different. Nobody's looking to us to know how to live. We're not to live like the culture. We are separate from it. We are to live according to the gospel, which sets us apart. And it literally is a third way, a higher way of living, a way full of purpose and grace and peace where we're not responsible for what other people do for the decisions or choices they make, but we come alongside them to encourage them and point them to Jesus and we pray for them and we love them, desiring first and foremost their salvation and then after they're saved, their sanctification, that they might walk in the fullness and the wholeness of all that it means to be in Christ Jesus. Colossians was written to a church that Paul had never visited. It was more than likely a plant from the church in Ephesus where we know Paul spent about three years. It's about 100 miles away from Ephesus. It may have been started by Epaphras. You're going to read about him in the book of Colossians. And if he didn't start the church, he was at least probably a lead elder or a pastor. And I want to encourage you as you read through Colossians this week to underline each time you see Christ mentioned. In fact, I would encourage you to read all four chapters of Colossians in each sitting. You can read through it fairly quickly. Go slow. If you don't really want to underline or highlight in your Bible, the scriptures are always included in the front of our workbook. So you can use that. You might want to use different colored pens. You know, I'm not real organized when it comes to highlighting and underlining. Some people are. They have beautiful like works of art inside the way that they categorize and color code everything that they do. I'm not, I, I grab whatever's closest to me at the time and I underline, I squiggle and draw circles and write in the margin of my Bible because the Lord is speaking to me and I'm interacting with him because the word of God is living and active and the spirit of God in his word connects with the Holy Spirit who lives within us and God reveals himself to us. He opens our eyes to see things we will not see on our own because they are spiritually understood. They are spiritually discerned. So if you want to do it in your workbook, do it in your workbook. If you don't mind doing it in your Bible, do it in your Bible. You're going to be amazed at how many times Paul talks about Christ, about what it means to be in Christ, about the blessings that come along because we are in Christ Jesus, what we have received. And then obvious question is, are we living like it? Do people look at us and know we're different because we're in Christ Jesus? Are we exuding his peace in the midst of a world that has lost any semblance of peace because everybody's anxious and stressed and discouraged and depressed? Are we walking in peace and love and joy? Are we exuding the fruit of the Holy Spirit because we've died to our flesh and Jesus Christ has come to life within us and we're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living to glorify and honor Christ because he's all that matters. 
because we have given him that place of preeminence in our lives. And the moment we do, the worries and the cares fade away. Paul is painting with words the grandeur, majesty, and goodness of Christ. And if we see God as he is and love him above all else, as we are commanded to do, everything else will fall into place. When we love ourselves more than we love God, our disordered love will sabotage every other relationship and circumstance. In his book, Live No Lies, John Mark Comer said, Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuit order, is credited with defining sin as unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Now, we don't think that, do we? We don't think that God wants us to be happy. And yet Jesus Christ came to give us shalom, And shalom is more than just peace. Shalom is well-being. It's flourishing. He came for our best. He came to bless us in him and to set us free from sin. He says, this is why the devil's primary target is our trust in God and his truth as it comes to us in scripture. If he can get us to doubt God and instead trust in our own inner intuition as an accurate compass to the good life, he has us. In the ultimate irony, sin sabotages our capacity for happiness by appealing to our God-given desire for happiness via deceptive ideas. Remember that voice that whispers in your ear? And you think you're the only one that hears it, right? Everybody in this room hears that voice. What we do with that voice determines the direction of our lives. And as we learn to discern the voice of our Savior, it's much easier for us to detect the lie so that we refuse the lie and say, no, just as these statements that we heard as we were singing, I speak Jesus, about our identity in Christ, we begin to not only say it, but actually believe it. And we know that once we actually believe the truth, then our actions will follow suit. We'll start acting like our identity is in Christ. And it will no longer be dependent upon someone else's approval or of a certain achievement, certain amount of money, certain place that we live, car that we drive. It won't depend on any of that because we know who we are in Christ. And the things of this earth no longer hold us down. We are going to be saturating our minds in scripture this semester. And it's the truth of God that's going to uproot any lies that we've been believing that threaten our peace, our satisfaction, and ultimately our happiness. I'm memorizing Colossians 3, 1 through 17. And I would encourage some of you to join me. If you have your Bible, open to Colossians chapter three. And if memorizing one through 17 feels a little daunting because we do have some weekly memory, scripture memory verses that we encourage you to do each week, just look at verses one through four, okay? If we could just get these four down, oh my, what it would do for us. It says in verse one of chapter three, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, if you're a believer, you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. 
For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And here's our verse. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, you will be revealed with him in glory. Is he your life? Is he all that matters? And if he isn't, don't let the enemy hit you with guilt and accusation. That's not what that's about. Let the Holy Spirit just convict you and show you any area in your life that you're holding on to, that you won't let go of, that you're allowing the evil one to have a stronghold in your life, or that you're letting define you. Let the truth of God's word bring those lies to the surface so that we can confess them as sin and replace them with what is true. Because that's what happens. Wrong ways of thinking lead to what? Wrong actions. So when we begin to think biblically, when we begin to base our life on what is true and we replace the lie with the truth, then it's easier for us to obey God and walk how? In line with the gospel. We will be living out the gospel on a daily basis in our individual lives. Paul wrote this letter of glory, thanksgiving, encouragement, and grace from prison. So lest you think, well, Donna, that sounds great for you. You don't know my circumstance. I don't think any of us are experiencing what Paul experienced. He was able because he's in Christ and because God had granted him understanding of all that he has in him to experience Christ in the midst of a jail cell and to write to a church that he had never visited, pointing out some of the lies they'd believed and telling them, oh, if you would just look to Christ, if you would just see him as he actually is, Many of you have heard me repeat Tozer's often quoted, probably most famous quote, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it charts the course of your life. Let's choose Jesus. Let's choose this semester to get vulnerable, to be honest in our time with the Lord as we're reading his word, to ask him, Lord, are you truly all that matters. This life's not going to be easy. We're never going to be completely comfortable because we don't belong here. This planet's broken. It's sin infested. But we're heading to a new heaven and a new earth where all sin will be gone, erased forever. And we will experience all the love, joy, peace, that God has prepared for those who love him. And it's waiting on us. It's waiting on you. Because Jesus told us he's gone to prepare a place for us. And he's coming back for us. Oh, that we could live in the reality of Christ being all that matters. We need to remember God is good. And he only does good. And his word is true. Let Jesus be all that matters for you this semester. And you watch and see what he will do. How he will reveal himself. How he will set you free. How he alone will heal you and make you whole.